Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about securing the teleworker and how Intel technology can help do that. And we have a special guest, Steve Oren, a federal CTO at Intel. So Intel has a, a set of technologies to help secure the teleworker. And we'll start talking about what we've done on the client, on the, on the device to help enable these capabilities. And so well, because there's two there technology. Right? There's, there's the client side and also the data center side, right? That is correct. And okay. while they are different, they are both technologies that reside on different devices, oftentimes they have to work in concert in order to be able to get the value. Gotcha. All right, so, so let's go on the client on. side, yeah, yeah, on the client side, uh, the, it starts and stops with being able to verify the client to make sure that it's booted securely and operating in a known good way. And this is where technologies that Intel in, uh, introduced many years ago and have been pervasive throughout our our client systems in, in secure boot with txt our trusted execution technology and more recently boot guard and now in the most recent platforms with intel hardware shield which is really a banner uh, for a, a set of technologies to secure the system at its lowest level at the firmware and bios level verify that you have the right bios the right firmware running be able to do protected and verified updates and make sure that the these features at the lowest level aren't being abused and misused and the, the last piece of that is that you need to also attest to that. I, I like to joke, if you can secure a system in the woods, but there's no one way to attest it, is it really secure? <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to attestation, both of the secure boot, of the biostate, and of the security controls. And so all of our technologies ha ha also have the feature of attestation. And that can be both local attestation as well as remote attestation. In the case of Teleworker, that is how then something like an enterprise access control system can verify a client as being securely booted and having the correct firmware and the correct security controls in place prior to giving access to the enterprise. The other area where we've done a lot of work over the past you know, number of years is being able to help organizations better protect their data. And there are two ties to that. One is being able to turn on encryption everywhere from full disk encryption to the network stack to the runtime stack without the performance impact. And so we've been implementing new instructions Every, you know, almost every generation of our products, adding new capabilities to accelerate uh, symmetric cryptography like AES, asymmetric cryptography like RSA, Diffie-Hellman, elliptic curve, and most recently the SHA or secure uh, hash algorithm in SHA extensions that we've added to help accelerate those core cryptography features so that you can literally turn on encryption without the performance benefit uh, uh, detriment. The other area where we've been focusing on is about protecting the applications and their data in use and being able to really close that last mile of security where you think about data at rest, data in transit, with full disk encryption, you've got data at rest. With uh, TLS and IPsec, you have data in transit. Well, now the last mile is data in use and that's where Software Guard extensions or SGX secure enclaves comes to play and gives organizations the ability to put key parts of their applications, mission critical applications, keys, important data, into secure encrypted memory enclaves. And this technology has been out for a couple of years on clients and allows you to be able to deploy applications into untrusted environments, just like we're experiencing now with the teleworker and still maintain a high level of security for those applications and data. 
The last piece of the puzzle is, really, is, is connecting back to a topic we just finished talking about, which is the, the threat intelligence and monitoring. And new technologies that Intel has introduced in the threat detection technology um, uh, category allows for organizations to get deep visibility into the operations of the platform to be able to monitor for low-level rootkits, BIOS malware, and other kinds of threats that could be running on a system, whether they be on disk or in memory. And by enabling those technologies to be used by IT organizations and the security tools and agents they use, allows you to be able to get visibility where no malware can hide. And these are technologies that are revolutionizing the way we detect malware using machine learning and AI. So is it, I mean, it sounds like quite a bit of things that we can do to actually secure that client. So why isn't that just good enough just to secure the client? Why do I, I mean, if nothing bad is coming in through the clients, then I don't have to worry about the data center nearly as much. It sounds like to me, I mean. Well, there's, there's a maxim that we know in the security industry is that there's no such thing as 100% security. And you're only as secure as the weakest link. So you could really secure a client, but then that client is communicating over a network and that network is then connecting to an enterprise system. And that enterprise system is talking to other enterprise systems. And so while we absolutely need to make, protect the client to make sure it's secure, we have to protect the other end of the communications channel just as much because that is actually where your, your corp, you know, where the crown jewels live. They live inside your enterprise and inside your services that you're providing. Right, so because it is important. It is important to, to secure both sides because yeah. otherwise, like you said, the weakest link, I like how you describe that. That makes a lot of sense. And a lot of the techniques you're gonna use on your enterprise are similar to what you do on the client. You're gonna wanna securely boot those enterprise assets and make sure you've implemented good virtualization security and isolation controls for those, those systems. And again, technologies like Intel TXT and BootGuard have been out for a number of years that enable you to securely boot those platforms and data center assets and cloud assets to be able to secure them and attest that they have been secured. We've introduced technology more recently, the Intel Select Solution for Hardened Security, that takes it a step further and integrates a lot of the Intel technologies for secure boot, isolation, and runtime protections into a single platform, into a single capability that is enabled by default. And I think that's one of the interesting approaches of the Intel Select Solution for hardened security is that we took those ingredients, worked with our ecosystem and our OEMs and developed a solution that when the, uh, an end customer buys it, it comes out of the box secure with the features turned on, ready to deploy applications into. And so it's sort of like the easy button, if you will, for deploying security into a virtualized environment. The other side of the story, as I mentioned earlier on client, you need to be able to protect data at scale, which means being able to turn on encryption, turn on TLS, turn on IPsec without taking the performance uh, impact. And that's where the same kind of, of acceleration technologies we did on the client, we've been doing many of them on the server and more specifically targeting the kind of cryptography you need to do at scale, whether it be SDN based cryptography to be able to support TLS sessions in a virtualized environment or bulk crypto operations so Intel's new instructions and our quick assist technologies are specifically geared to the enterprise and cloud scale encryption requirements. And then finally, how do you do monitoring, threat intelligence, and audit at scale? And this is a case where we looked at how typically organizations deploy and uh, monitoring and threat intelligence systems and looked at where could Intel technologies actually make an impact. And one of the things we found is using our performance technology, so our high performance compute storage and memory technologies and applying them to 
uh, environments like Splunk and Kafka, we were able to see immense performance improvements in data ingestion and scalability and processing by deploying the latest technologies in Optane Persistent Memory, in High Performance Compute with Cascade Lake, and SSD storage to be able to truly scale the cybers and intelligence platforms. What's amazing and important right now in this new environment is that the scale is being tested. Whereas before you were managing, you know, in a large organization, 100,000 clients within the walls of your organization, and then a small number of clients that were outside external, now suddenly you're having to manage all of your clients and all of your users as external. And that can put an extreme stress, not only on your network infrastructure, but absolutely on your threat intelligence and monitoring infrastructure. So it's now the time to come in and look at how do we increase the performance and the capability of the, our threat intelligence platforms. And the good news is much of that performance benefit can be had without changing a line of code. Just by deploying the latest CPUs, memory, and storage technologies will give your infrastructure and systems the performance they need to handle this new scale. Man, there was, there's a lot here uh, that we can do, Steve. I mean, there. How, where, where do I get started is, is the next question. What can I do right away? It sounds like the technology's been there, the techniques have been there for some time, but let's talk about what we can do today because last week I just deployed 10,000 people into remote work. Now what, <laughs> you know, now I'm worried about security. Well, maybe I'm a little late on worrying about security. So what can I do right away to, to, to help, you know, curb, you know, the security threats that are obviously coming? Well, I think it's, everything starts and stops with the employees themselves. And so this is where deploy training to help your teleworkers know how to secure their environment. So home security guidance to help them secure their network, to secure their wireless, secure their environment that they're connecting to your network, to your assets from. And so deploying training, for these new users that are out there teleworking sometimes for the first time. So secure training for telework, home security guidance, other, you know, reinforce the trainings that they've already had about proper data access and data controls. Those are things that we can do right out of the box that don't require any changes, if you will, to uh, technology. Pushing patches and require users patch their devices, whether it be BYOD, enterprise clients or the like, making that an enforcement point and, and going proactive on the patches. If you've already deployed or you're starting to use some of these enterprise access control, ERM and DLP solutions, turn them on and scale them out. Um, move from pilot to production. Also, we, you're gonna, uh, IT organizations need to go look at the policies that they deployed in the past and reassess those policies for the new world order. So when you made your policy decisions in the past where you had a small number of remote employees and a, a, most of them weren't working within the four walls, that has changed your policies need to change to, to meet that. For the web connections that you're doing, turn on TLS and make sure it's enforced for everything, both client to the enterprise, client to the cloud, cloud to enterprise. And here's one that's probably gonna be controversial for a lot of people, but we gotta do it now. Turn on two-factor, multi-factor authentication, just do it. Now, I understand most organizations don't have the client, to, you know, the tokens to deploy. They haven't figured this out yet. The good news is there already exist two-factor authentications that don't require you to deploy new tokens, whether it be using things like personal device, your phone as the second factor and deploy these cloud services and enterprise services 
that can be able to, to leverage two-factor authentication. And there are a variety of vendors out there today that you can turn on without having to deploy a large amount of infrastructure. Yeah, like we Microsoft. We need to get two-factor. Yeah, Microsoft has that. Google has that. There's a lot. There's lots of. There's lots of help out there in this space, which is good. Absolutely, we got to turn that on. We got to leverage it now. Um, again, some of it is, is standard hygiene. Make sure your endpoint security agents are up to date, enabled. Enforce good policies for the access points, and make sure all of your devices have full disk encryption turned on. Uh, because now that your your users are living a hundred percent of their time outside of your organization, it, there's the, the likelihood of a device either being misplaced, being stolen, being misused, or being borrowed uh, is, is increases exponentially. Yeah, like my On the kids. long term. Yeah, like yeah. borrowed. I like, the, I like the borrowed statement. Like my kids that, um, you know, we only have so many computers in the house and I have a lot more kids than computers. Uh, so yeah, someone's going to borrow my machine. This is a real problem for, for many uh, uh, teleworkers. All of your kids now have to suddenly have a, access to computer at the same time to do schoolwork. Yeah. And so suddenly you've got to figure out how do all my kids get access? Maybe you were lucky and you had a couple tablets and you had a, a laptop. Now your corporate laptop is maybe conscripted to do you know, Zoom conference calls for the, kids, uh, for the kids' work. And so how, as an organization, do you enable the, your users to actually operate in this environment? There are some techniques you can do today to enable them to do that Zoom conference call and be able to have the kids be able to use that work asset without negatively impacting. And so whether it be browser isolation technologies, good security controls and VPNs and others can secure the, the environment that the, user, that the user's kids or other family members, members need to use without adversely affecting. Um, but it's gonna take some work. Well, and I think you brought up an interesting point. It seems to me education of the employees, education of the end users, is probably the most important thing you can do here. And the quickest. And the quickest. So, you know, uh, dust off your PowerPoint skills uh, because you're not going to be able to go to everyone's house. That's, that's the, you know, the effect here. So, all right, let's talk about that short term. That's what I can do today, right? Let's talk uh, about long term. I, we don't know how long um, this new mode of work is going to happen. Some people have estimated that this shift has happened and this is normal now, right? That we're gonna have a lot more remote workers. So you, you've gotta come up with a plan. So what do I do long-term to make sure that I can handle this in the future? So there are several things that, we, that organizations should start looking at now uh, to be able to support this kind of environment, both whether it becomes a long-term reality or you know, as, as we've started to realize, this becomes something that reoccurs or a new pandemic happens. How do we plan for this? One best practice we're seeing people talk about right now is implementing zero trust best practices and policies. And there's some good guidance out there um, about how to deploy zero trust. And really at its core, what zero trust means and does is it reduces your reliance on having to trust every aspect of the user and the client that's coming in. And so it, it's, it creates a, a true defense in depth down to the data level where access is part of and parcel with data, uh, data protections. At the same time, you've got to implement multi-factor authentication and go and be able to get that to scale um, across the entire organization. Um, for those that haven't adopted ERM and policy-based access control, you've got, this is, some, this is the time because we've, it's really about protecting the data. 
And if you don't have access control and protection for the data, no matter where it lives, off-site and on-site, you're going to be missing the ability to protect yourselves in this new world order. One area that I've talked about often, I've written about, is around uh, looking at the actual systems themselves and implementing a deep stack security solution. One thing we can no longer do is say, well, I've protected my application, I'm good, or I've got secure networks, I'm good. We've got to go deep and we've got to understand the security of the entire stack from the bottom all the way through to the top. And that's secure boot with attestation, implementing virtualization and container security for the VMs, for the containers, and for the engines that are driving them. And implement firmware security monitoring. Make sure that you know what firmware is running on the base system, on the cards, and on the devices that are in the environment, and be able to monitor and update them and protect them. We have to extend audit and threat intelligence and monitoring to the teleworker environments. And this may be one of the more challenging things long term because often users uh, push back on having more and more agents and more and more monitoring on their system. But as more and more clients become remote clients and yet still need to be able to operate productively, the IT needs to get visibility. And so they need to be able to figure out how to scale their threat intelligence and monitoring. They also have to look at what their threat feeds are and make sure they're getting threat feeds now that anticipate this new environment where they have remote workers, as opposed to just focusing on the enterprise side. <clears throat> and then the last piece, and you sort of mentioned this earlier, but I think this is a really good best practice that people should start evaluating, which is extending the enterprise security to the teleworker locations beyond the device. You mentioned about being able, having a, one organization deploying uh, routers that have already been pre-secured and pre-managed. Those kind of things will actually be a major game changer for protecting that environment that your, your clients are now living in. It's not a high cost. It does require a little bit of work. But if you deployed a router and, or a switch to your enterprise, uh, to your clients, to your workers, to their house that was configured and secured and managed by IT, that could reduce a whole level of risk that the IT is having to take on by allowing for these remote connections. Plus, you're giving the user, the user a benefit of having a much more secure work environment, which means also their, their non-work activities will be more secure if their Wi-Fi is locally secured as well. And so there's you know, a win-win here that I think really is something in, innovative and novel that we should all be looking at. You know, this brings up an interesting thing. One thing I think in long term that we're going to have to do is think outside of the box. Think outside of what we've done in the past because our world has changed. Things are different than the way they used to be. So we've got to deal with that and we've got to come up with new ways of secure, securely working in this new environment. Now, one thing one thing we've talked about, and you helped me out with it. I appreciated it so much. We want to talk about it in the podcast, and that is, how do I secure my home office? So let's go through it. Let's take a look at, all right, what can you do to secure your router, to secure your machines at home? Because everyone has this now. So Steve, we are, we are come to the wise oracle of Steve around securing your home. So you better do a bang up job here and help, help me out. Uh, thank you, thank you. Um, let's start on the system itself. And this is both your, your laptops, your, your tablets, your phones, all of the internet connected devices that you have within your house, update them. 
download the patches every time that they're updated that you've got the notifications both the apps that are running on them as well as the operating system or the core system don't wait Always so i don't i don't just hit postpone indefinitely never when that pops Especially up now. all right gotcha all right same thing with your with your uh with your endpoint security agents whether you're using an antivirus or another kind of tool a local firewall make sure they're up to date and run regular scans and one thing I think a lot of people don't, don't get is they have it set up by default to scan at 2 a.m. Great. That's if you left your system on. Many laptops you shut down and then they never get scanned because you never are actually have it on at 2 a.m. So one thing you must do is make sure you're running those regular scans. When this, and, and if you're going to set up for a scheduled event, make sure the system's on. Make sure you've deployed endpoint security to all of your devices. People are commonly used to doing security on their laptops and desktops. They have you know, an antivirus, they have a firewall. Not as many people have those kind of security things for their, you know, their phones and their tablets. The software exists, many of them are free, and they actually help protect you. So download them and enable them. Make sure to turn on your local firewall and enable the router's firewall. So you're in your router today, there is basic firewall settings. There are basic settings that you could turn on and get some immediate protections making sure that you have proper security set on to your Wi-Fi, which we'll get into in much more detail. But one thing I want to highlight is something that most people don't even think about, and it is actually something that is one of the major steps you could do to reduce your overall risk while surfing on the Internet. And it's around reducing your runtime surface area of attack. And this is going to go against how people think, but close the apps that aren't in use. If you're running 1,000 apps, every one of those is an attack point. And one of the key things people don't understand is that I can use one app to attack another. When you're in your browser and you're doing one function, don't be doing 20 things at the same time. Log out and close secure sessions before checking email or browsing. So if you're doing some banking, you're doing your VDI, when you're done, close it. Log out, close the browser, restart it, and then go do surfing or checking your, your email on, on, a, on a note, you know, like your Gmail account or, your, or whatever. Don't do them at the same time. Don't be doing two different applications in the browser at the same time because there is a context sharing that goes on. And while the browsers have done amazing work to try to secure themselves every day, we see new examples of cross-domain and cross-site attacks. And so by just closing your browser down, logging out of secure sessions, and not doing simultaneous activities of different types, you could actually reduce your overall threat significantly because ultimately, they're going to come into that same vehicle. They're going to get you to click on a link, and they're going to try to get you to run malicious code or to run a script in that browser. And if there's nothing there for them to attack, it's going to limit the exposure. And so that is one best practice that doesn't take a whole lot of energy that can actually really increase the overall security of your environment as you're, as you're browsing and checking email. Well, you say it doesn't take a lot of energy. Your kids aren't on the internet yet, Steve, right? Yet. <laughs> yeah. So I got teenagers at home. There's like 50 tabs open in Chrome. And yeah, it's, yeah, the, you say that's easy. That's going to be a lot harder for us to have kids. Um, but education, maybe, maybe I'll have you talk to them and you can scare them really bad on how evil the internet is. Uh, we'll have to have you come visit, Steve. But you know, there's a really good website that everyone should go take a look at. It's called stopthinkconnect.org. That's S-T-O-P-T-H-I-N-K-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. -N -N -E so it's spelled exactly that, stopthinkconnect.org. And it's a really good educational site to help uh, both young and old understand 
about how best to browse in a secure fashion. I'll, I'll, I'll point them to that. I'll make them go through that. Yeah. All right. The other now, side of the about, story. Yeah, go on, let's talk about the modem yeah. now. Let's talk about our Wi-Fi and all that. In yeah, so the Wi-Fi modem router security tip, there, there's a, a variety of things that we need to do here. It starts with whatever device you have came to you with the default password. Change it immediately and make it good. Make it number, you know, as, as many characters as you're willing to do, but a minimum of eight to 10, use different characters. So upper, lower case numbers and special characters. It so password, password is not a good password. Password's not your password and password one, two, three isn't your password. Got it. Change those default passwords immediately. When you have, when, you're, when your ISP, your local ISP gave you a default web portal to manage your device, it also has a default password. Make it a unique password. Where you can, use two-factor authentication, whether it be with the, the SMS-based or one of the more advanced ones from Microsoft, Google, Duo, what have you. Change, here's a nice little thing that, again, it doesn't take a lot of work. Your devices came with a default SSID or network name. Change it. Because someone who's doing drive-by wall dialing is looking for SSIDs that they can recognize. Oh, that's a Verizon router. Oh, that's an AT&T router. I know how to attack that, or I know what the password, default passwords are. Changing the SSID makes, it adds one level of step of obfuscation to your network infrastructure. And don't give away your Wi-Fi to everybody. I mean, obviously your kids are gonna need it to connect, but sometimes you can just connect it for them. Don't publicize your Wi-Fi network password to anyone who's coming to every, you know, because that's something that oftentimes you don't change that often. It'd be great if you did, but you don't need to give it away. Sometimes you can take the device and type it in and then let them connect. Make sure you enable automatic updates for your routers and modems. Again, it's not something that's intuitive to people, but just like your laptop needs to be updated, so does your router and modem. And turn on WPT, WPA. Make sure you're using the, the, the wireless uh, encryption capabilities. Enable the network address translation features. Turn on the DNS filter. These are all features that are there in your modem and router that you just go to the admin portal. And they're actually, they've done a really good job of making it easy to find these, these features and flipping the switch. Some of them, some of the more advanced ones will come with this stuff default on. But if it isn't, you should turn them on. Where possible, disable uh, UPnP, or if you need to use it, use it and then turn it off again. Same thing with WPS. Use it to connect the devices, then disable it. And so these are some things you can do to help protect your local environment from remote and even close by attacks. Because we all have heard of somebody borrowing uh, Wi-Fi from their neighbor. These kind of techniques will help prevent your neighbor because when they do that, they're not, you're not exposing just your network, but your enterprise network to not only the insecurity of your environment, but the insecurity of your neighbor's environment as well. Uh, this, is, this is great, great information, Steve. Um, for those of you Thank that you. are listening to the podcast, you can go out and find um, all this information on our blog. Check it out on embracingdigital.com. So Steve, thank you very much for uh, today. This was very informative. Some great um, ideas here, some great things that we can work on. What would be some last words that you have for all of those IT professionals that now have everyone working remote? So I think that the three things that I would, I would take away is number one is we've got to think differently now, which means deploy the technologies that you may have been piloting, get them out there, 
educate your users, turn on two-factor authentication, and protect the data at scale. And that is really, if we can do those three things, we can actually help reduce the risk of this new uh, entire enterprise teleworker environment and be better prepared for the next round of this or for the next pandemic if we've implemented these key things to help our users understand what it means to be telework securely, enforcing good authentication and access practices on the user, and make sure to protect the data no matter where it lives, because it's going to live outside your organization now. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.